Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Well, happy 4th of July almost. It's good to see everybody. Uh, We've been going through John, sort of loosely, but we've been going through John and... um, At this point, we're on chapter 14, and chapter 14 is one of those chapters where you know it even if you don't know it. It is so full of riches. It is full of so many hugely important passages, Um, so many beautiful promises of Jesus to comfort and to strengthen his disciples. He promises eternal life. He promises heaven. He promises the Holy Spirit. Um, And this is also the tail end of the Last Supper when Jesus is giving his farewell to his disciples. It's the end of the Last Supper. So my point is there's too much to unpack here. There's too much. Today you won't find me trying to do that, trying to unpack all that. So I'm just going to pinpoint a couple of verses and then zoom out and touch on another few verses uh, another few parts of the chapter. So I'm going to start off by reading my central passage here, and then we're going to let it sit. We're just going to let it hang for a bit while I share with you a little story. So chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. This is the Common English Bible translation. Jesus' words. If you've really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus replied, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you all this time? So, a few months back I was on a date night, a rare date night with my wife. Um, We were getting in the car, And I was in a dark mood. (laughs) The troubles of life were getting to me that evening, especially. And I drove sort of passive-aggressively to our restaurant. I parked the car too hard. I braked too fast. They took the keys out of the ignition too fast, cut the engine. And my body language, my my wife knows me too well. She she burst into tears, and that was a wake-up call for me. What is it? What is it? What's wrong? And she said shakily, you're not being yourself right now. So with kind of an outburst, not at her, but I was just venting, I, I said, I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure in every way. It, you know, work had been a struggle. Balancing work with life at home was a struggle. We have some dear friends of ours who were having a very hard time It was as if our prayers were not being answered. I don't know if that's true, but it was was getting to me, you know? Um, And because of all that, I decided that I was a failure. I, um, I elaborated to my wife for another minute or so on how I was a failure in every way. This and this and this. And in the end, she breathed life into me when she said... Those are lies from the enemy. Those are lies. And she said it with love and with concern in her eyes. And after she held me 
in a long hug, we we went on into the restaurant, and the date night got much better after that. <laughs> so anyway, in the heat of that moment, I had decided that what I was, what I was, was a failure. And in moments like this, like this one, I do not know all that I might know of God. I don't know all that I might know of him. And let me explain. My, my big struggle, my big lifelong struggle, has always been with self-worth, with self-esteem, not feeling valuable, not feeling useful, worthy. It's easy then for me, for a guy like me, to buy into a lie like I am a failure. Which also, by the way, implies that I'm observing a false definition of success. To know God freely with that access to himself that he freely gives, it is to walk in truth, and it is to know who I really am. So this means, on the flip side of the coin, that denying my true identity in Christ by defining myself as a failure, for example, that's the, that is denying God's freely given knowledge of himself. I'm not seeing moment to moment that my identity is in Christ, that to live is Christ, and that I am, I am more than valuable. I am beloved of God. I transcend success because I rest in his success, his perfect and final victory. So to know our God and to know him at all times is to know who we really are, is to walk in his truth. So I confess that I do not know all that I might know of God when I'm grasping at things like where to find my worth. And I wonder if you also have this sense that you're missing something. Um, Do you have that disconnect? Have a sense of disconnect between what you know to be true of the Lord and actually accessing and walking in that truth? I mean, how many, how many of us know that Jesus died for us, that his grace is enough, right? And know that because of him, even the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us direct access to the Father. But knowing that, how many of us have to admit we don't walk in that knowledge continuously? So in our next slide here, or in this slide, is there a disconnect? Um, that's the question. Uh, for you, it might not be self-worth. Um, it might be a lack of a sense of purpose in those things you find yourself most invested in. If you could just tell me what to do and where to go, God. It might be anxiety or chronic stress or feeling hopeless about the state of the world. If you could just, if I could just know the outcome of today, God, or the way this week or this year or this war will end, God. And for you, it might be an inability to forgive or exasperation when you feel your emotional energy is spent. 
God, if you would only make that person see that I'm right. If you could just make things easier, Lord. Or it might even be complacency. It might be the sense of nothing at all, numbness of going through the motions of being locked into the daily routines of your life. God, if you could just make me care. If you could just if you could just change my situation for me, God. It could be so many things, couldn't it? That disconnect. Between that knowledge of God and accessing and walking in knowing him. That disconnect can manifest itself in so many ways. For Philip and for Thomas too, and all of the 11 disciples, because Judas has already left, for all of them, they were struggling at this point in time with the disconnect, and for them that, tr- that translated to despair. So let me try to quickly give you some context as to this is where the disciples are at this point in this particular moment in time in the book of John. In John, Jesus has already done these big miracles, um, at least seven of them, where he, in chapter two, changed the water into wine. In four, he healed the nobleman's son. In chapter five, he healed the paralytic. And in six, he fed the 5,000 and he walked on water. He healed the man born uh, the man born blind in chapter 9. And then in chapter 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He is a miracle worker at this point. He has publicly claimed his divinity at this point. In no uncertain terms in the Jewish, Jewish culture. His many I am statements. Um, perhaps culminating in chapter 8, verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. This is a man claiming his divinity in the presence of his disciples. And then the final week before his crucifixion, here we are, and things completely get turned upside down. Starting in chapter 12, we have Palm Sunday where he he enters Jerusalem and he's famous. Crowds are cheering him on. They're doing the equivalent of rolling out the red carpet for him. And the next day he cleanses the temple. He overturns the money changers' tables and starts to stir things up. He, over the course of these days, he publicly, publicly denounces all the leaders, all the legal experts. He's proceeding to alienate just about everybody. And if you're looking closely, that includes a lot of his followers. And his disciples, they're, they're wondering what's going on. Their Jewish understanding was that as Messiah, Jesus would be a conquering king. He would judge the world. He'd put an end to this Roman oppression. But it seems like things are just falling apart. He just revealed in chapter 12 that one of them is a traitor. And then Judas reveals himself and he he leaves. He's gone. Toward the end of chapter 13, I mean, this is moments ago. He has just foretold Peter's denial of him. 
you think that, Peter, but you're, you watch. You're going to deny me. And over the course of these chapters, over the course of these days and longer, he has repeatedly been saying, disciples, I am, I'm going. I'm going. And where I'm going, you can't come. I'm leaving. You're leaving? These disciples, so lacking in faith, so like us, they're feeling the disconnect between Jesus as Messiah and the unfolding of the events of the past week. What is going on? Our lives are falling apart. And Jesus, of course, is aware. So in this most comforting of chapters, he kicks things off in verse 1 by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't. In the next slide, it kicks off with verse 4, but I'm going to lead us in with starting with 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. Isn't that sweet? That's the King James. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, and it's rendered in the New Living. as There's more than enough room. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. So, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas, no... We don't, Lord. (laughs) We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And here it is, right? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true and living way. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him, Philip. Lord, show us the Father, then we'll be satisfied. We, he's speaking for all of them, right? And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet, you still don't know who I am? Okay, I'm going to pause on the scriptures for a little anecdote. Uh, there's a dear man who went to our church for several years, and he just moved to Wisconsin. His name's Alex Reamer. And I was in a small group with Alex for a couple of years. And um, we were a few years into knowing one another on kind of on an intimate, regular basis in a small group. It was church one Sunday. We had invited our neighbors to church. And the dad did tree work and landscaping work. So at the end of the service, Alex comes up to me and he's like, hey, it turns out your neighbor and I have a lot in common, huh? And I, I said, how do you mean? And he goes on to say, well, you know, my work. And after a pregnant pause, I, I'm looking at him blankly and I'm saying, you, you work with a tech company, right? And He says slowly for effect, I work for a landscaping company. (laughs) And he looked at me amazed with kind of a grin, lowering his head. How could you not know that? (laughs) 
And of course, I'm thinking, how could I not know that? I don't remember what I said after that. I blocked it out, I guess. But um, I don't know what my deal is, by the way. Please don't ever quiz me on what you do for a living. It's like a character flaw. I love you, but I, I'm not going to remember. Um, so anyway, I, I knew Alex really well at that point. Um, but it's clear that I definitely could have known him better. I have to admit that I did not know all that I might have known of him. His question, how could you not know that about me? It indicated that I had had access to that knowledge about him, but I blew it. (laughs) I blew it. Um, So again, back to scriptures, verse 8. Philip said, again, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am? How could you not know that? After all this time. The slide ends there. We'll just let it sit. I'm going to read on in scripture. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Trust me. Trust me when I say that. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. So, when Philip is saying, when Philip is saying show us the way to the Father, that, that'll be enough. That'll satisfy us. He paints a picture of the desperation and the despair going on at a profound level and in the heads of all the disciples. He's in effect saying, we've left everything. We've literally left everything to follow you, Jesus. And things have not turned out the way we thought. Not at all. You're leaving. You're going to the Father. So if you could just show us that Father you're going to, then it's easier for us to trust. Then we can keep on walking by sight. And he's missing the point, of course. I love how the disciples are constantly missing the point. They're so dense, right? It's so reassuring, though, because we can't pretend we wouldn't be doing the same thing if we were them. We would. So he's missing the point. Jesus has been showing Philip and his disciples the Father for years, for three years, for his entire ministry. Through his daily presence at their side. Hebrews 1.3 says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his, God's, glory and the exact representation of his nature. Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God. with his disciples, with those who love him, as foolish as they are. Jesus is so patient and kind with them in his treatment of them over this, the coming verses. I mean, even as he scolds Philip, it's tender. He's saying his name. He's calling him by name. Don't you know me, Philip? Even when their fear and their desperation 
are evidence of their inability to see the Father in Jesus, he's patiently reminding them. He demonstrated it for years, but he's patiently reminding them. Trust me, verse 11, when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. And now he goes on to another huge theme. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. Later in chapter 16, verse 7, he even says, it's best that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. So right up until his resurrected body ascended to heaven, right up until that time, he stood alongside his disciples. He was their paraclete in the flesh. A paraclete is the word Jesus uses at first to, to, to define the Holy Spirit. That's the term. And but he's their paraclete in the flesh. He is the one, what it literally means is, one who stands alongside, usually like in a legal context. That's where we get the translation advocate, encourager, counselor. So after his ascension, of course, he, he prompted the Father to send the other paraclete who would live not merely with his followers, as Jesus did, but in them. It is to your advantage that I go. So finally, on the, on the next slide here, we're finally going to change the slide, and I'll give you some more verses to look at overhead. If you love me, Obey my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another comforter, encourager, counselor, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. You know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments, we'll talk more about those commandments in a bit, and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Notice that last part? And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. We have Jesus' assurance that he reveals himself to us. And seeing him is seeing the Father. Verse 23 says, All who love me will do what I say. My thought, my Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with each of them. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity, by the way, in chapter 14. It's a whole other sermon, but he lays it all out right here. I'm skipping ahead. It's a part of verse 26. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. He reveals himself to us. The Spirit encourages us and instructs us in Christ, and Christ shows us the Father. So how does that help? I mean, really, where's the relief from the angst the disciples are feeling? 
They don't know where to go, much less the way to get there. And you know, it would be enough if they could just see the Father. So, what is the answer tucked away in Jesus' question? Don't you know me? There's something implied. It's the very thing that chapter 14 fleshes out. Don't you know me? Because you can. Because you can. All over this passage, Jesus states and restates what is required to know him, to know the way, the way to our Father in heaven. And that is obedience born out of love. Verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Verse 23, all who love me will do what I say. You might ask the question, what exactly are his commands? What are his commandments? Um, I did some digging myself. I want to be sure. Loving him and obeying his commands. If we look across some other scriptures, like uh, also John but chapter 13, verse 34, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. John, again, chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, also 17. This is my command. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my command. Abundantly clear, right? This is my command. Love each other. Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 36, it says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Romans 13.8 If you love your neighbor, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. To love God with all that we are and to love one another. That brings the peace that is his. The assurance Jesus even drives this home toward the end of our chapter here in verse 31 by being the role model for us of what he wants, what he requires of us. I will do what the Father requires of me, obedience, so that the world will know that I, what? Love the Father. Sarah to come on up from the worship team as we begin to think about the challenge that this puts to us as believers today.
Jesus, he puts a challenge to you and he asks, don't you know me? Can you imagine him facing you and asking you, don't you know me? When your hearts are troubled, don't you know me? When you're spent, feeling nothing at all, going through the motions, don't you know me? Because you can take heart. Mine is the true and living way. When you're anxious about so many things and the news reports are leaving you feeling helpless, don't you know me? I am available to you. I am beside you, fighting for you. I am in you. When you're struggling to forgive, don't you know me? Because you can. Because you can. See how I pray for those who crucify me as I lay down my life for my friends in obedience to the Father whom I love. And that very love is yours for the taking. the disconnect between what you know to be true of the Lord and actually accessing and walking in his truth. Do we not know that the Holy Spirit is in us and that the Holy Spirit in us inspired those scriptures we can read and will strengthen us and remind us of everything Jesus has said. Don't you know me? Because you can. Let me tell you something. In the age that we're in, in an age of deconstruction, I I don't know, I see it all over my social media feed all of a sudden. Christian deconstruction, and I'm proud of it. Um, In an age of deconstruction where we're among a self-congratulatory culture, that applauds dismantling beliefs at the expense of discarding truth? What if we, church, were beyond reproach? What if we are found loving the Lord so much, so visibly, that we are practicing His presence moment to moment, that our our thought life and our prayer life are one and the same? One and the same. What if we're treasuring, what if we really, really treasure Jesus' words in our heart? What if we're beyond reproach? Loving one another and our neighbors, whoever they are, loving them outrageously with daring, even at the risk of our positions and our reputations. Jesus invites us to know him well enough to do just that. He is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and never will overcome it.
Good Father, um, like the words of the song we sung earlier today, give us vision to see things like you do. Jesus is the perfect model for us. We want to see things as he did. When he had the most insane final week of anyone who's ever lived, and instead of despairing, he's looking at his disciples and he's comforting them. We want to be like that. to humble ourselves, empty ourselves, and experience you like we can, and boldly access the truth that we have through the Spirit in us, and through your inspired scriptures. so that we can be we can really be a shining light to the world around us and to our our culture that has gone to seed we just want you we want to know you help us to really you.